when I'm really in the thick of the emotions about, you know, not being pregnant, having sex is just a reminder that like our bodies can't do what they're supposed to do. It's just like another reminder that we're failing at the thing that we really want. And so it's very hard sometimes for me to get out of that mindset. One thing that has been really successful for me because of that is shower sex because I'm in a different headspace in the shower and there's no planning like can really just strip down and connect. You're listening to Mom After Hours, a podcast where we talk about the wins and challenges of being a modern mom. For real, we don't sugarcoat and we cover everything that is taboo. And don't you worry, mama, we'll save a seat for you. Hey mama, hey, hey mama, hey, get your coffee, get your OJ, get your juice, because we're going to talk about everything today. Sorry, I clearly had too much coffee today. Oh, it's Brandy Whitrack, if you don't know, host of Mom After Hours. Today we have Amanda Osowski on the show. She shares a little bit about her infertility struggles, and she digs into some juicy and fun tips on how to boost intimacy when you're struggling with infertility. She is a infertility and postpartum doula, a bereavement preparation and loss specialist, and a certified professional life coach. Whether you're struggling from infertility or you just need to better connect with your partner, you will want to stick around for this episode. Let's dig in. I have wanted to be a mother since I was 12 and babysitting. Um, I've always loved children. I've always felt really drawn to being a mother. And when my husband and I started, you know, really talking seriously about trying to conceive, we did a little bit of pre-work, if you will. Um, So I live with Crohn's disease and such have been on several different medications over the last handful of years. And so we met with a maternal fetal medicine physician, which is um, a specialist in the conception and pregnancy and delivery world. And, you know, reviewed everything, all the meds I've taken, my surgical history, my disease activity, all of that. And um, we're basically given a green light to go ahead and start trying to conceive that it was it was safe for my physical health and really had no idea what that would mean for us. I mean, we had spent, honestly, our whole relationship up until that point, I was on birth control and, and we were using condoms or we were pulling out. And so, you know, just being extra cautious about not getting pregnant until we were ready to get pregnant joke was on us because getting pregnant was not uh, in the cards for something that we could do on our own. So we um, tried for after about nine months of trying, like really seriously tracking my ovulation, timing intercourse, trying to conceive. I went to my OB and I said, hey, my cycle length is still varying. It's, you know, within 32 to 39 days, but like, is there anything I could do to make it more succinct? Is there anything I can do to try harder to conceive? Um, you know, I'm a very type A person. I have a master's in public health, so I have a strong science background, and I just wanted to know I was doing everything I could. Um, and she said, well, you know, let's like run some tests and let's send your husband for a semen analysis. And so we did those things. And about a week later, she called me and said, I'm really sorry to say this, but I don't think you're going to be able to get pregnant without technological intervention. <sighs> and yeah, that's, I that's, basically 
felt like I had been kicked in the stomach. Um, I never expected to hear that. Um, at the time, I didn't know anyone, literally. I did not know a single person who had gone through infertility or who had gone through fertility treatment and kind of took a minute to catch my breath. Um, with a referral to a reproductive endocrinologist, it took us three months to get in and get seen. And they did a whole bunch more testing. Um, my husband had another analysis and I had several invasive procedures and we ultimately were diagnosed with unexplained infertility, which, uh, exactly. You're like, okay. And like how, <laughs> yes. How do we fix this? Well, that's yeah. cool. Cause there's no answer. Um, so on the bright side, that meant there was no inherent, um, structural or chemical reason uh, indicating that we shouldn't be able to conceive, but it also meant that there was no easy fix on allowing us to conceive. Mm -hmm. So my doctor recommended that we start with something called IUI or intrauterine insemination, which um, is a fairly non-invasive method of reproductive technology. And I went in so hopeful that first round, um, you know, after we did the procedure, I swore for two weeks that I was, I was sure I was pregnant. This was it. This was like the push that we needed. And that negative pregnancy test crushed me. Um, I remember just, I sat down on the floor in my bathroom and sobbed. And we proceeded to do three more rounds of IAY, so four total, none of which were successful. And then we transitioned to IVF or in vitro fertilization. So um, we did one egg retrieval in August of 2018, followed by a fresh embryo transfer, which failed. And that was really devastating because like we had done all the things, everything lined up here was like IVF, the big leagues. And mm -hmm. yeah, we still weren't pregnant. And then we were lucky enough that we had three embryos to freeze. And so we had those embryos genetically screened for chromosome normality. In a positive turn of events, they all came back chromosomally normal, which is very rare, but we were extremely lucky and grateful. And so we did a frozen embryo transfer in the fall of 2018, which ultimately was successful. And Hallelujah. yes, exactly. And then I was pregnant with our daughter. My pregnancy was fairly uneventful outside of the fact that I threw up every day from a positive pregnancy test until after I delivered my daughter. That's so not fun. That's literally horrible. The I guess entire you're, pregnancy. Like, you're like, I'm really, really working hard, you yes. know, for this baby. You're yes. like doing all the things, you know, yes. to have, to have this baby. And you're like, of course I'm, you know, it's literally, you get kicked in the stomach when you find <laughs> out the other news. And now you're like, literally like heaving. Yep. So, oh my gosh. Yep. Um, I just like to tell people that like my daughter has been a boss since day one, like <laughs> the perfect uh, representation of her personality. Oh. Uh, we were actually released from the hospital on Mother's Day oh. in 2019. And so we, that's when my, wow. yeah, my journey to motherhood kicked into high gear. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's just last year. That's a lot, yeah. a lot has happened. A lot yeah. has happened. And that is only talking about my first child. <laughs> yeah. So you are, are trying to have a second child. Correct? I am. So um, based on living with Crohn's disease, um, the recommendation is that you are in disease remission when you get pregnant. And that is a window that can be taken away at any time. And so 
uh, my husband and I and my doctor decided that shortly after my daughter was three months old, um, so very new still, uh, that I was ready to start trying to conceive again. And I was so, so, so optimistic that like my body knew what to do. It would be like a boom, boom. I'd actually get pregnant from having sex and we'd have babies really close together and it would be great. LOL. Yeah, were you comfortable with that timeline or, or because of the delays? I mean, obviously you guys were ready to have children and then it didn't happen as fast. Right. As, like, were you comfortable with that? Like, okay, now it's time to jump back in and get you to know, it. You know, 90%. Yes. It was a little bit of a mixed bag just because um, becoming a mom, like obviously rocked my world and changed everything. And was super, I mean, I was, it was still breastfeeding slash pumping at three months, obviously. And so it, it was a little bit of a mixed bag, but I also, you know, just, I knew the timeline was so vague that like, who knew, you know, if we started trying to have, you know, timed intercourse around ovulation in October, like, you know, maybe November, December, January, like I knew it wasn't going to be like one and done. Like that just was never going to be my story. We kind of set the course that like we would try. And then if we weren't successful, we would do our pre IVF testing um, in March. And then we'd start the prep for a transfer in April and we'd transfer in May as soon as my daughter turned a year old of 2020. So I had testing scheduled for March, so um, a saline ultrasound and an HSG and some other testing, and got a call saying um, the American Society for Reproductive Medicine recommended halting any elective procedures, which included testing, it included new cycles, anyone who was not in the middle of treatment um, based on COVID-19. And so that was another kick to the gut. And so we honestly continued, I think naively might be the right word now, but we continued to try to conceive, um, every single month and it was stressful. It was frustrating. It, it, and, and we'll get more into this, I know, but it destroyed our romantic intimacy. And when you put the pressure of trying to conceive, in addition to the pressure of a global pandemic. And as a side note, we had two friends living with us during this time. Oh, so like, right. Girl. House. Girl. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so it's like, it's, that would be hard. It's like that you're, yeah. you see, so you have people in the house. So it's already yeah. difficult to have spontaneous yes. sex, but then Correct. even scheduled sex. And Correct. Uh, yep. Uh, yep. And so we kind of just like, by the time we got to April, we were like, all right, we need, we needed to take this month off. Like we were going to try just to have sex for fun, which like is still really hard. And we received a call at the end of June that we were finally able to reschedule our testing. So we rescheduled our testing for July, got the clearance to start IVF again, started prep uh, early August. And then I actually had an embryo transfer in September, which failed. That was, thank you. Yeah. Honestly, one of the most heart wrenching and, and grieving things that I've experienced. I'm so sorry you're going through this and especially during times where it's already really difficult. And yeah, yeah, I, I can't imagine I mean, obviously today we're talking about, you know, boosting intimacy and things like that during infertility challenges. I can't imagine like (laughs) having spontaneous sex and having that desire to even 
want to have sex when you're already feeling down about like what's going on. And, but obviously you want to stay connected to your partner, but at the same time, you're like, well, we got to save, we got (laughs) to save up that load for, you know, for the important stuff. Cause you know, we're scheduling this and we're doing this and we've got to, you know, do it according to plan. And yeah, I, I'm sorry you're going through that. I, I don't know. It's definitely requires a lot of work. Absolutely. It, um, you know, our first journey with infertility changed intimacy immensely. We just, you know, when you spend sort of maybe 16, 17 months trying to conceive, like really seriously trying to conceive, um, it puts a lot of pressure on sex and it's not fun sex anymore. Like it's not sexy uh, or romantic. It is intentional and purposeful. And when we started fertility treatment, so once you begin IVF, you cannot have sex with your partner. Um, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So we went from being scheduling sex to then like with IUIs, it was literally the, the office was scheduling our sex. Like they, we were being told by a doctor when to have sex. We went from that to being told you can't have sex until further notice, basically. So during fertility treatment, you're on so many hormones that having sex can basically interrupt the process and it can cause challenges that can cause failure or, you know, extreme multiples essentially. So we then, we stopped having sex in July of 2018. And then when you go through IVF, um, they need to confirm intrauterine pregnancy before you are basically like given the green light to be intimate again. However, I had um, a small subchronic hemorrhage. And so I had some bleeding in my first trimester. And so we weren't given the go ahead until I was 12 weeks pregnant, which was um, the first week of December. So that's like almost six months that or like five and a half months that we had not been able to have sex in any capacity. And then I threw up my whole pregnancy. So our intimacy, <laughs> right, our you're intimacy. Like, you're, you're like, hey, babe, you want to take the risk? You might get a mouthful. I'll get a mouthful of yours. You get a mouthful of mine. <laughs> it might not be the ideal one, but. um, You know, I, I never quite offered it like that, but maybe yeah, that would have been a good idea. You might we... have scared him away with that. You'd be like, um, okay. Uh. We worked really hard at intentionally connecting in other ways during that time. But when we postpartum, uh, when my daughter, honestly, when my daughter was like five weeks old, so before even the like checkup, um, we eased our way back in to intimacy and then had like a few great months of like good, spontaneous, enjoyable, non-purposeful sex. And that was so nice. And then we sort of got thrown back into this trying to conceive space again. Wow. I mean, you, at least you've got a, a strong partner, you know, oh, that you guys absolutely. are literally going through this together. And obviously, yes, you know, we all, I'm sure you'd like to have sex. We all would like to have sex, but when you, when you're going through such ups and downs and you know how like, we're, we're well, I'll at least speak for myself. You have to feel kind of like an emotional connection and yeah, to want to have sex. But when you're feeling down and possibly, you know, if you're grieving or just you've got a lot of stuff going on, it's like spontaneous sex, purpo- even purposeful sex. It's just like, okay. But obviously it's like you you know that there will be 
some good that comes from it, but it's, yeah. it, to me, that would be just be a constant battle. It, absolutely. And honestly, for me, um, when I'm really in the thick of the emotions about, you know, not being pregnant or whatever, having sex is just a reminder that like our bodies can't do what they're supposed to. It's just like another reminder that we're failing uh, at the thing that we really want. And so it's very hard sometimes for me to get out of that mindset, honestly. And and this is obviously so couple to couple, but the one, one thing that has been really successful for me because of that is shower sex. Um, because I'm like in a different headspace in the shower, you know, and there's mm-hmm. no like planning. Like it's just like, so my husband and I have always enjoyed showering together. Like even if it's just a shower, uh, since we were dating and now, you know, having a toddler, that's like, sometimes it's the only yeah. one at one time we get. <laughs> the only yeah. time where you can get away without them like yes. running in. and yeah. Yes. And so um, that has honestly been like the most passionate place for us, like the place where we can really just strip down and connect. And honestly, sometimes it's just a makeout session or sometimes like we just get each other off and don't actually have intercourse. But a lot of times when we do have intercourse, like that's the place that I can get out of my head and like just be connected to my partner. That's great. Well, that's good that you have something that something that you guys can do together to feel connected that yes. works for you. Yeah. Shower sex is a great thing. And I think also seeing each other, you know, vulnerable, yes. and naked, you're standing up in the shower. Yeah. I'm, you know, a little insecure. I do I mean I used to do that more often, but now I'm like, oh, I don't want you to see me naked right now. So I would shy away. So, But but I, I would think that if I actually went through with it, it would bring you closer together. Yeah. It's, yeah, I can see how that would work. And especially with kids around, shower yeah. is the way to go. And you yeah. just feel good. Like, you know, you see literally, you, you know, you said you're stripped. Yes, you're yeah. literally stripped raw. <laughs> like they're seeing you in your complete glory, whereas we can yes. kind of you know, hide in the, under the blankets a little yeah. bit, dim the lights, you're on a stage in the shower. So to me, yeah. that extra level of vulnerability, I think would help you just stay connected yes. and, you know, just, yes. Yeah. And I'm looking at the it's, psychology part. Of it. No, <laughs> like, no, I, yeah, I like appreciate I really, that. I can see being and there's no distractions. Like mm-hmm. when you have sex in bed or on the couch or in the kitchen, like there's a lot of things that you can see, but in the shower, you're literally just in the shower. Like that's it. There's no phones. No one has their smartwatch on. Like, yes. Yeah. That's good. And it makes cleanup easy too, right? Yeah. (laughs) Also, why does nobody talk about that part of sex? I know. I know. Literally every movie gets it wrong. Like nobody talks about the, yeah. Yeah, I know. So I'm glad that you're, you have something that works well for you and your partner. Do you have some other ideas or things that would help mamas to strengthen their relationship during this time? Besides the amazing shower sex, that's definitely a huge one. That's a huge one. Yeah. So during the times that we couldn't have sex or that I wasn't feeling up to having sex or that feeling sex felt having sex felt like a chore we honestly did like and, and this sounds funny now as a mom but like we did skin to skin time together like we just get under the covers naked and just like listen to each other's heartbeats and have a conversation but just like remember that connection that was really helpful for us and also setting aside time to talk about our feelings 
about the fact that we weren't having sex, which I know sounds really annoying, but like my husband and I have always been huge proponents of conversation. And to be completely honest, um, my husband is the only man I've ever been with uh, in, in that way. And so it, it sex has always been a conversation before an action, you know, it, being on the same page has been really important to us. And so I, I think that if you can talk about or even poke fun at the fact that you are in this, you know, bizarre season of life. And um, sometimes we talk about like, oh, do you remember that one like really good experience that really good sex, like at this one time at this one place, like sometimes just kind of laughing over connecting over sort of the intimacy that you've had, I think can keep you guys on the same page. And I think just, again, communication, like when you don't want to have sex, when you don't physically feel up to it, when you don't emotionally feel up to it, when you can't, or when sex is only on a routine schedule for trying to conceive, like talk about it, acknowledge how that feels, and then also build time for your relationship, not naked so like do things together and obviously in COVID life that means way different things than it used to but go on a walk together or go sit you know in a park together and and just connect like remember the things that made this person your best friend and remember that their support is there even though things feel really hard right now yes that's such a good tip I'm glad that you talk about it um, with your partner too because I feel like when you're going through those infertility struggles, it's easy to use those as an excuse as to why you can or, you know, you can't have sex now or whatever. And even though there's a legitimate reason why you might not be able to have sex, when you don't have sex and connect with your partner in that way, the other person can feel rejected. Right. And even though you've got that, that reason in the background, they could still feel like, okay, are they not sexually attracted to me anymore? Right. Are they are they frustrated with me? Do they not like want to be around me right now? So and guys are just as worrisome, I think, about yeah. that as women are. They just don't say it. And exactly. obviously we're more vocal about it. So I think that those tips that you shared are are so important because we there's other ways that we can connect. With our well, and honestly, one of my biggest fears, and I talked to my husband about this then, I've talked to him about it recently, is that, like, it's just an insecurity, obviously. But, like, if I'm not giving him that pleasure and that connection, like, is he going to look elsewhere for it? Is he going to try to find it through, you know, porn? Is he going to try to find it with someone else? And that is a huge point of vulnerability and, and um, it makes me very nervous, even though I know there's no validity to that fear. And we've had this conversation a hundred times, but I completely understand other people who feel that way because I think about it often. Like if, if we're not having this, like, is he trying to find it elsewhere? Yeah, that's, and that's why it's so, I feel like it's as women, that's probably something that might always be in the back of your mind if you're not giving right. your partner sex. And I feel like that that's why it's so important to talk about it. And like, I love how you guys reminisce about the times where you guys were having that spontaneous sex. And my husband and I yeah. do that too, because I will be honest, it's not as spicy as it used to be, right. you know, when we were in those early dating stages where you're still yeah. trying to woo the person yeah. and impress them and like, look what I do. I'll just do it all. Yeah. Look what I, look how good I am, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, you get to your place like, okay, I'm tired. I've got kids. I've got to cook dinner. I got to do all yeah. this stuff. So even just talking about it, like, oh my God, remember that one time when we were here when this happened and and we just laugh and it's like, and it kind of helps to 
rekindle that spark. Like, look, we love each other and look at how connected we are. And even if we might not be in that super fiery moment right now, we know that we have the potential to be. So we just have to stick it out through these tough times and just be more purposeful and, you know, do other things. Absolutely. And some, one other tip that I, I have learned as a parent now is that bedtime sex is just impossible. Everyone is so tired by the time you get to the end of the day. And so we learned, you know, within a couple of months of becoming parents, obviously when my daughter moved to her bedroom in her crib, we learned that either morning sex or sort of like midday naptime sex, that was way more successful for us because by the time we put her to bed, you know, and we do dinner and dishes and bottles and clean up the room, like we just want to zone out. We just want to scroll or watch something on TV and check out and and we don't have the energy to give to each other. And so we, we decided, you know, sort of very early in our parenting journey that like saving sex for bedtime was not, it, it just wasn't going to work for us. So I think too, looking at like your new schedule and your new adjustments, figuring out like not scheduling it per se, but just knowing that like you know, this time of day makes it a lot more feasible or a lot more enjoyable than, you know, waiting until the end of the day. Like that was an important lesson for us. No, hey, we're all working from home nowadays, yep. guys. <laughs> so you got no excuses for that noonday sex. It's true. <laughs> but so I, true. it's funny because my husband, like he's a night owl and I'm not, I'm an, I'm more of a night owl now. Cause that's the only time I can get just my me time. But like when I was working outside of the home full time, I was like yeah. nine, I needed my sleep. Yep. But now yep. it's like my husband, he's, you know, he wants to do it at nighttime. And I'm like, I finally putting, you know, my daughter to bed. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I'm, you're going to stay up late. And then he expecting me to stay up as late as he is in order to get yeah. like, when I'm in bed, boom, like by the time yeah. that I actually, my head hits the pillow, it's like, I'm tired. Yeah. To have to just, yeah, it's, it, you have to do what works. And I really agree that, you, you know, if you're a morning person, do it in the morning. If you yeah. can do it in the afternoon, you guys are both working from home and, you know, the kids are outside playing during their yep. recess time. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got to take advantage. You got to just, you know, you got to do what works, do what works for, you know, your situation. Absolutely. So you did a great job at kind of expressing how, infertility impacts your relationship with your partner. Are you guys really close in that he can kind of just say how he feels about things or is he just... Yes. Uh, That is definitely the environment we try to create. Um, That has changed a little bit just in our dynamics post baby. Um, Pre-child, you know, it was just the two of us. And so we... um, you know, sort of had time to talk ad nauseum about all the things. And after we had our daughter, it took several months to get into a space where our communication wasn't just sort of a, a sit rep on the baby and like an update on whose shift it had been um, and where we really were checking in on each other and our feelings as new parents and our marriage. And um, honestly, we had to put that on the camera. We had to say Monday nights at 7.30, we're going to sit down for a half hour and we're going to, you know, put notes in that calendar item during the week leading up to it so that when we sit down, we don't forget what we want to talk about. And it was hard. We were not on the same page so much in those first couple of months. We were, you know, both, we both experienced new parenthood very differently and sleep deprivation differently and stress differently. Um, But now, I mean, my daughter's almost 18 months old and 
I would say the last year we've been in a really solid place of communication. Um, I'm very lucky that my husband is extremely vocal about his thoughts and feelings. Um, you know, we are both Enneagram twos, which says a lot about us and our marriage and our communication. Um, for those of you who are familiar with the Enneagram, but, uh, I think, you know, not every partner is like that. And so I think that if that's not your unique situation, um, find times to communicate in the ways that work for you. And whether that's like writing each other letters or, um, sending each other. I know uh, my friend sends her husband emails because he works a lot. Um, he travels a lot for work. And so she like sends him emails with her thoughts and feelings like twice a day. And then he responds when he's available. And so, you know, figure out what works for you guys to make sure that you are um, giving each other the same kind of space that you had to talk about these things before you had a baby. Yes. And I, I like that your friend sends the emails. I feel like I'm better at putting words on paper than I am in the moment. Yeah. And Which I mean, obviously I can super do Super valid. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I could do spontaneous conversations with my husband, but when you like weren't are trying to be purposeful and really connect, yeah. I feel like it's, it's kind of nice to get that out and, an email and, you know, and then you're uninterrupted and exactly. And it, and if you're, you know, talking about how awesome and amazing they are, at least they have that chance to reread it. So when you guys yeah. are having maybe a moment where you just aren't able to connect because of life, yeah. you can kind of reread that, you know, and I see like, that. you know what, you know, yeah, my, my wife is good. And, you know, I yeah. know she loves me, even though yeah. she's not a blow job right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still love her. I still love her. Yeah. But no, I think that it's so important to just, I mean, to me, intimacy has so many different forms and I think communication is such a huge one. And it's so great that your husband and you like have that system where, you know, you have that time schedule where like, okay, this is where we're going to talk about this stuff. And because I can see how you, like when you're going through infertility struggles and you're, you know, doing all these different treatments where that could literally consume your life. And that's the yes. only thing that you would talk about with your partner because that's yes. the thing that's right at the forefront. Yes. But so it's, it's great. I think that you're being purposeful and be like, okay, this is when we're going to like hash these things out. Yeah. But we need to remember the day-to-day things like how what yeah. are you doing at work? What, yeah. what, did, what happened when you're walking around downtown today or what, you right. know, trying to think about all those other things. Well, and it also that, means I send yeah. him less texts in the middle of business meetings asking about, you know, can, can I buy this thing or what's our budget or, you know, a million other logistical things. We also try to set aside time for because that gets really frustrating too when, you know, if I'm in the middle of cooking dinner and I get a text from him about, you know, are we out of X, Y, and Z? Do I need to go to the store? But like, it, tra- again, the transactional conversations also have a place and time in our home too, just because they were getting in the way of our connection. That, and you addressed it. Yeah. Okay, so that's good. That's great. So the connection is so important. You mentioned the shower sex, which hell yeah, I'll, I'm all for shower sex. Maybe I'll do that yes. today. Surprise yes. <laughs> what are some other ways that couples can boost their intimacy? Right. Yeah. Um, so I think back to like kind of the early days of our relationship and like lube, get some good lube that feels good, that smells good. Um, I know for me that I'm drier postpartum than I was before having a baby. And so, um, you know, at certain points in my cycle that it's just not as comfortable uh, as it used to be to have sex. And so lube has been super helpful. Um toys like honestly I'm a fan of a good cock ring like I'm not sure about you but I'm open to everything pretty much yeah (laughs) yeah I think that like just um 
bringing back some of the things that you did in the beginning when you were dating, when you were just getting to know each other, when the goal was fun and romance and and sexy. Um, I think that it's really good to connect to those things again. And like, you know, pre-COVID life, I would say like, oh, go to like a, a sex toy store and like look around and see what like interests both you and your partner. Now I would say browse a sex toy website and see what interests both you and your partner. Um, but I think just, you know, or, or like, you know, use temperature, use ice cubes, use food, use something that is different than just sort of the insert and come and be done. Um, that feels fun or funny or enjoyable. Um, I'm a big fan of just kind of that or, you know, for, for either partner, if, if there's laundry that makes you feel confident, I don't care how your partner feels about it, but if it makes you feel confident and sexy, I always recommend that. But I think in general, just like thinking about what feels good. Um, and it's another thing too, especially for individuals who have gone through childbirth, what feels good may be different now than it used to be. Um, I remember kind of learning, like, honestly, you know, upon insertion, it feels different to me now and anatomically where my husband is than where he used to be inside of me. And so I think that masturbation is really important too. I think, you know, you know your body best. And if you know what brings you pleasure, um, you can help guide your partner best. Yes. And I think guidance is key. I know that a lot of women, for some women, sex is just very easy to talk yeah, about. and. Totally you know, they have no problem going and ordering dildos and all the toys right. online and she kind yeah. of come to the house and be like, look what I got. And then there's some where, um, you know, that it's just a very difficult topic. And One thing, so my husband and I are huge stand-up comedy addicts. Um, if, you know, if it's on a streaming service, we've watched it. And I think stand-up comedy a lot of times broaches subjects like these. And I think that that could be a really good way to have the conversation too. If you watch a stand-up comedy special and they talk about doing a thing or whatever yes. that piques your interest, you can say like, hey, babe, like, why would you maybe think about something like that? Like, yeah, just kind of very nonchalantly. And then if it's like, if they roll their eyes or whatever, like, okay, you know that you need to like be in a different genre, but yes. it gives you a safe premise for the conversation where you're, you're not as vulnerable and bringing it up. So mamas, if you don't know any comedy shows off the top of your head, just start Googling comedy shows or TV shows that have XYZ happening in them. And then you can plan to watch that show with your partner and then kind of gauge their responses to things and see how they respond to those things. Also the like my friend said cop out like, oh, I was talking to Belinda the other day and she said her and her husband did this. Like, what do you think? Is that weird or is that like, is that cool? So I I will admit I am, I'm just a very, I mean, if people haven't been able to tell yet from listening to the episodes, if this is your first episode, you probably haven't, you don't don't know my personality just yet, but I'm a complete open book. And I am the friend that (laughs) bought all of her friends dildos for their 18th birthday. Oh my God, that's hilarious. All of them like pink dildos, crazy sex stuff. So (laughs) I've always been a very open in that regard. I mean, not not like having sex out on the street, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon, (laughs) but I am very like, you know, that stuff doesn't bother me. And it's probably because my mom had sex toys and I walk, I saw them when I was a little kid and I had that talk way too early. but, but I feel like, like I'm not ashamed. Yeah, yeah normalizing I'm not ashamed of those things. But my friends, knowing that, of course, like when they had problems in their relationships and marriage in that department, my well, there was one friend in particular. She's like, "Can we go out to dinner? And can you like?" 
nonchalantly bring up like about like different sex positions yeah. or, or something like that. And yes. I mean, that's something that I totally like people would be like, some people would be like, what the hell you're going to talk about like sex in front of your friend's husband. And at the no, dinner. I would, but my, but people know how I am. I'm like, no, yeah. I fuck, no topics are off conversation for, or off right. the table for me. I'm like, whatever. But it's yeah. just like saying, you know, I'm having these problems and he's only wanting to do this and he doesn't yeah. want to do that. And I just, it's really impacting us. So I went out to dinner and, and he knows my personality. So (laughs) I I, I can get away with it. Maybe not everyone can, but you know, I was like, you know, we should do this. Or have you ever done this before? I was watching this movie the other day and they were doing this and, oh my gosh, you guys should totally do it. You totally, you know, like I wasn't making it. I was trying to, you know, have that conversation, but not act like I knew about their sex. Right. So, oh and, you know, it's a fine, Amazing. fine dance, but she said yeah. that, you know, the conversation worked and he finally, you know, oh, good. You know, was doing what she had wanted and felt more comfortable. And yeah, it's, yeah, that is, you know, the thing is, is that yes, sex should be pleasurable ideally. Um, but in my opinion, sex is, and always has been about intimacy and connection. And if you are not experiencing intimacy and connection, it really challenges your relationship and it makes the sustainability very difficult. And so I am all for sort of any conversation, any method that opens the doors to communication between partners and that encourages comfort and ease and uh, something that brings both people joy and satisfaction. Yes, 100%. And I feel like intimacy, you know, some people will look at just like the actual penetration and like sex. Right. And it's like, no, foreplay. The yeah. Communication, yeah, that's huge. But foreplay, oh, there's so many different things that you can do without acting. Yeah. I'm like, there's so many things that you can do without yeah. actually like, okay, lay do down, it. pop it in. Right. Let's make right. it Right. So postpartum, I was very um, transparent with my husband that the foreplay game needed to be increased. Um, you know, like I said, I'm a little bit drier postpartum and like I need to get in the mood. And honestly, he stepped up his game so much. And that was such a turn on for me that like he was working to turn me on literally, um, which like, so foreplay became really enjoyable and it like made sex better. So yeah, I completely encourage foreplay also. Yeah, I think it's great, especially for moms who are, you know, you're you're tired. Yeah. Just yeah. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to do the the whole dance and like, okay, and you know, 10 minutes or you know, some guys maybe one minute, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm like, there's some things that you could do. They're like, okay, obviously he wants to get off here. I'm gonna give him a blow job. Okay, I'll bada bing bada boom. That'll take me five minutes tops. So right. you could kind of use the foreplay to your advantage based on how you're feeling. So it's like you can still kind of give your partner that connection and maybe give them what they want. Maybe it might not be packaged how they had originally wanted it, but I feel like just even doing something and even just doing the skin to skin. I agree with that. I feel like just laying in bed together and you guys are naked laying next to each other, but there's nothing else going on. I feel like that that is intimate, you know, yeah. being, being connected in that way helps. All Absolutely. of those things matter. It doesn't Absolutely. have to be penetration, people. It doesn't no, have to. No, it does not. There's, <laughs> there's a lot so of other much. ways to be intimate besides penetration. Absolutely. And one other thing you made me think about um, when you were talking was just, you know, especially for moms, her newer moms. Um, I know that the the challenges of, of breastfeeding and your boobs are, are part of 
the challenges with intimacy. You know, I always was worried that I would leak milk, you know, during intimacy if my boobs were stimulated or, you know, that my boobs were too full and I needed to pump before we had sex. I mean, it's just a whole other variable. And I would say like my advice is, is just, again, communicate with your partner. And so for the entire time I was breastfeeding, like my, the boobs were the babies. Like they weren't yes. my husband's. That didn't involve like foreplay sex. Please just don't touch them. Definitely don't yeah. suck on them. Like that, they're not for you right now. Um, and that was like yeah. a fun milestone post breastfeeding that like he got his boobs back, you know, for a period of time. And so, you know, if you can joke about it or laugh about it, or if you feel more comfortable wearing a, a bra or a camisole during sex, like do what feels comfortable to you because that is a whole other element that you have never previously dealt with. Yes, you're right. It's f- so funny. You reminded me of this situation when like my husband and I were having sex and he was on top of me and my boob, like he was smashing me, my like smashing my boobs and the milk was just going everywhere. Like oh my soaked our bed. And I was mad at the time. Yeah. My daughter was probably like, I don't know, four months, maybe five months. I don't know. But my boobs were like full of milk and I was freaking out because I didn't have any milk. Right. You're wasting my milk. And I'm like, stop, you're wasting all the milk. She's going to wake up. I'm not going to be able to feed her. She's in it. And I remember like he's in the middle of it and I'm. Yeah. And then you're probably like crying. Yeah. And I'm like, what? No. And plus, yeah, obviously on on top of the fact that it hurts. Right. You're so sensitive, but I was just so. He's Matt. focused on one thing and I'm yeah. focused on the fact that milk is soaking the bed. Right. And, and then you don't give an F about cold. Yeah. Right. I know. And right. I'm like, oh, you just wait. This isn't even enjoyable. What the right. hell? You just right. Can you just get off? Milk? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. just doesn't get it. Yeah. But, so but the, like, I think that's so important is like, I don't, I, I would hate to see other new moms and, and new parents like not be intimate because of that fear or that like stress. So like, you know, whether you put, milk catchers in a bra and wear that during sex or whatever it is like Wait, find a way to catchers you don't know about this no yeah they look milk like catchers? yeah so they go over your nipples it, it's almost like a a nipple pad but it's clear and it has like a little it's like a little reservoir tank no and it catches way. yeah they just like sit in your bra and they catch like any droplets or whatever and then you can just pour them into a bottle no freaking way i had no idea Oh my God. Even since, so my daughter's 18 months old and even the postpartum products available to women now are vastly improved and different and more in variety than they were 18 months ago. That's yeah. good. That means that they're listening. Yes. People are listening. They're listening to women's stories and what they're struggling with. So that's good. They're finally freaking fixing things. Right. Filling the need. Girl, you are a wealth of knowledge. So you share a lot of these pearls with your clients at Heartfelt Beginnings. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about the new company that you started recently? So I founded an organization called Heartfelt Beginnings, where I educate, support, and cultivate new families, anyone from aspiring parents to pregnant individuals to um, postpartum life and new parenthood and really um, began focusing on that infertility journey. So I specialize in um, people who are going through infertility treatments and also new parents post-infertility. So like IVF babies. And I find that I'm really qualified to offer support and education to that subset of people. Um, It makes me really excited when I can prevent, I always say my goal is to prevent the 3 a.m. Googling. So like wherever you are in your journey, if I, if my support can help 
prevent you from Googling questions and things that I don't want you going down a rabbit hole at at three o'clock in the morning on the internet, that I'm doing a great job, like that I'm doing my best. So uh, in the last year and a half, um, since I became a doula, I also uh, became a certified professional life coach. I felt like that was going to be really helpful to my doula-ing, um, especially providing infertility coaching, really, and support to families who are going through the same process that my husband and I went through. And then in that, um, I have worked with a lot of clients who have experienced a loss, and whether that's a failed embryo transfer or a miscarriage or neonatal death and having to deliver a non-living baby to stillbirth. And that is something that I wanted to be better prepared to support clients through. Um, so I became a bereavement preparation and loss, loss specialist um, so I can provide that guidance and support to anyone who is experiencing or may experience sort of that awful you know, soul-crushing heartbreak, there are doulas for that too. And uh, the biggest thing is that, you know, becoming a parent changed everything, this whole journey from infertility to to new parent pregnancy to motherhood. And I thought I was really educated. I took every class that the hospital offered. I read all the books and there was so much I didn't know I didn't know. And I don't want other people to feel like that. So that's really what fuels me. You are such a beacon of light, Amanda. I'm so oh, glad that, you. you know, you, I hate to be super cliche and say everything happens for a reason, but you've gone through so much that you can teach, educate, and inspire other women, you know, to keep going and staying motivated and just kind of helping them get through this process, which is extremely difficult. So I really feel like you found your calling. I mean, not, I mean, you've got, I mean, besides the education component, which is like through the roof, you've definitely found your calling. Thank you. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, it, to tell you just a quick story, I was that person who, you know, I thought I knew what I wanted to do with my life and I was so, you know, adamant about my path. And by the time I got to the middle of college, um, I sort of questioned that and what that looked like. And for several years, I was sort of, I was doing things that mattered, but it wasn't what fueled me. It wasn't what really um, made me wake up every day. And, um, you know, just, I felt a little bit aimless in the career path, which is it, 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 so contradictory to, to who I am. I it was such an adamant, dedicated student. I have, you know, two majors and a minor when I graduated college and then I went to grad school. And now that I'm standing here, I know that every single thing that I did between then and now was to lead me to this place. Exactly. And this is a hundred percent where I belong, but it was really hard and really discouraging before I got here because I didn't know this is where I was supposed to be. Yes. All that fire we got to get through to get to the, yes. the good stuff. Or I hope it gets better for you. I know right now it's still, you know, challenging with everything that's going on. And, you know, the fact guys are still, you know, trying to have another child. It is hard. And it's also, I just, I try to frame it in the way that everything that I'm currently going through is just better forming my empathy and my understanding of what my clients walk through as well. Can you let us know where our new mamas and mamas-to-be, where they can access your resources and your community and um, receive guided support? Yes. Great question. Um, so you can find me at heartfeltbeginnings.com. So H-E-A-R-T-F-E-L-T-B-E-G-I-N-N-S. 
H-E-A-R-T-F-E-L-T-I-N-G-S dot com. Um, and all of my social media matches that. So at Instagram is at Heartfelt Beginnings. Facebook is at Heartfelt Beginnings. Twitter, it's the same search. It's a little bit different. It's at Heartfelt Begin 1 because um, there was a character limit. But um, <laughs> And I'll have yeah. that linked up so it will be easily. Perfect. Um, yeah, I, I would love to chat. So please feel free to reach out. Even just send me an email and I'd love to hear your story. So really love connecting with people. Yeah. I'm so glad we connected. And I'm very, very appreciative for you coming on the show today. Thank you. You're welcome. Wasn't Amanda just amazing? If you'd like to learn more about Amanda or Heartfelt Beginnings, check out momafterhours.com forward slash episodes. And I was so lucky to meet this girl in person. We socially distanced in a forest preserve and she was just as amazing as she is on air. Until next time, you can always catch me on the gram at momafterhours.com.